You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Matthew 21 is what we're going to be looking at today. In a previous job um, that I had, I did some stuff around film and video with a previous job, and I used to work for a, um, a TV station that would was working with um, CFM, the radio station that's on the Gold Coast, and they would get celebrities in the interview on the radio show and then if that celebrity would want to be filmed they would call the young sort of intern type there and I'd meet them at the hotel or wherever they're filming and set up and film on location the interview with these celebrities. So for a short stint of my life I got to meet, be in the room with some famous people. Very exciting for young guys, still very exciting no matter how old I was. Um, and I got to, and being at the time very involved in music, I was very excited to meet these musicians and these people that were rock stars and very famous and world-renowned guys. And you'd always wonder who you're walking into. They'd never tell me the name. So I'd rock up and the next minute it'd be Taylor Swift one time sitting there and I'd just awkwardly set up a camera while I'm shaking, dropping everything because Taylor Swift. And I noticed one thing in common with all the celebrities that I got to be in the room with and it was this. They're normal people. <laughs> Surprise. They're regular people. Yes, they're famous and ridiculously rich. Um, but they're just regular people. So because I was kind of a fly on the wall, I'd see them get nervous about the interview or getting ready or asking their assistant, am I looking good? Am I going to be all right? What are they going to ask me? I'm a bit tired. I'm hungry. They'd be whinging about the show tonight and I'd just kind of hear this stuff. Turns out celebrities are regular people. And that's why I think they say don't meet your heroes because uh, you find out They might be regular people. The world was shocked recently with the interview of Harry and Meghan to find out the royals. Who would have thought? Uh, Slightly old-fashioned, maybe a bit racist. People were shocked. I think we're all pretty familiar with what they'd be like now, but people were shocked. I can't believe the king or the queen. They're up here. Yet, it turns out they're regular people and they have family disagreements and kids get cross and have rebellious teenagers like everybody else. But we so often put these people up on pedestals. I don't know, who's, with, who's put someone up on a pedestal one time and then been disappointed to find out they're normal? I think we've all had these experiences. And in some way, this is where I want to lead into Palm Sunday today. This royal pres- procession as Jesus enters the town. Let me read... And we'll come back to that story. Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Bethlehem, that's meant to say. I don't know why it says Bethage. Does it say, yeah, it does. Yeah, sorry. Saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Fowl, fowl, fowl. Thank you very much. That's what I meant. You all pass the test. You're all awake. Obviously, I know what it says. But you guys all passed the test, so there you go. There's a few more of them coming up. So, 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them their clo- on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and other branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We should have had some palms today. I was thinking about this, always in hindsight. But Eric was saying, we have palms. We can just wave those. So good insight there um, on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus arrives in town. A king's procession. The crowd goes wild. They would have... um, it was a particularly festive time of year. We know Pilate was about to enter in town. Was about, so this was, not, this was happening right now. They were seeing other people enter town that were somewhat royal or important. But as Jesus entered town on a donkey, they made a scene. Things were happening in Jerusalem. There would have been stories of the ministry over the last three years and beyond of miracles. Rumours of his journey. People in the crowd that had been personally healed or affected by his teaching and preaching people witnessed to would be in the crowd imagine the scene palm leaves and coats were placed on the ground as a sign of worship for who jesus is who they believed he could be and what he was here to do there was freedom in the in in a time of oppression under the roman government there was a you can imagine there was like a a whiff of freedom and almost rebellion in the, something's happening. Hope in the air, excitement. The king has arrived. I've got a picture up here. The king has arrived. However, within a week, if you know this story, and I suspect most of us do, within a week, these same people would be shooting insults. These same people would have been spitting at him. These same people would have been declaring he must die. They would have been swapping his life for a murderer over, as in saving the murderer and giving him up to be crucified. Even his supporters would deny him and run, and he'd be all abandoned, essentially, on the cross. What happened What happened from this and what can we learn today and reflect upon as we approach the cross? What happened in that week that you can go from going, this is the king, to this man must die? Well, three things I just want to cover today. Three things that I believe these people were thinking and the scripture tells us pretty clearly that the crowd were thinking. Number one, He didn't do what they wanted him to do. Number one, Mark 8.31 says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. It doesn't get any much clearer than that. He actually tells them what is going to happen. Any any type of reading or research into the Gospels, you know, he, towards the end of his life, he hints, he doesn't even hint, he stops hinting and just tells them exactly what is going to happen in the next few weeks. 
But they didn't want to hear that. That wasn't what they thought he was here to do. That wasn't what they wanted him to do. They thought he was going to uprise against Rome. They were made oppressed and so they were excited. This man's going to take Rome down. That was the crowd at least. That's why the crowd's excited. They're like, no more Rome, no more emperor. This man is going to, have you seen what he does with bread and loaves? Imagine what he does on the battlefield. He's going to take these people down. Meanwhile, the Pharisees, they always get a bad rap, but these guys, I, feel, I actually feel sorry for them all the time because they're, like, they're trying to do stuff right. The poor Pharisees are in this, if you, if you don't know the political landscape of the time, they've kind of been allowed to have the Torah. They've been allowed to kind of celebrate their religion, but they just don't step out of line. Do your thing, but don't start disrupting the empire. And so every time Jesus says things like, Caesar's saying like, hinting that he might be God, (laughs) they're just like, stop. You don't know where this leads. This is going to end badly. Stop disrupting. They might come in and just wipe us out. So the poor guys are just terrified of losing their home, of losing what little bit of land they have left. Because Jesus keeps saying things like, he's God. Jesus keeps doing things that once it gets back to Rome, they're not going to be happy. And so they're sitting there getting nervous as Jesus comes in now getting declared as king. The crowds are thinking, long live Jesus, this is the end of Rome. They expected different things. They projected different things on Jesus. The Pharisees, I'll put it this way, the Pharisees seeked a kingdom of holiness and peace. Deep down, I believe they wanted to do this. But they thought control, religion, and compliance was needed. They just picture, I believe, deep down, this picture of holiness and peace. They thought the way to get that is to have a kingdom of control, religion, and compliance. Then you have the crowds. The average Jew or Gentile under Rome seeked a kingdom of freedom and prosperity. But they had this warrior king picture in their head. If you're not with me on that, you're like, how did you get that? Literally, his disciples up until the last night are carrying a sword on them. So if you're not sure, you're like, I didn't know that. They were ready to fight at any point. They were ready. When the Roman guards came to arrest him, he's like, right, let's do this. And he has the sword. The average Jew and Gentile under Rome seeked a kingdom of freedom and prosperity, but they thought that was a kingdom of power, force, and violence. And so they, they placed the palms... They placed the coats and they thought that's what they're signing up to. The Pharisees plot to kill as they watched because that's what they thought they were signing up to. Not bad motivations in the deepest part, but it's not how the kingdom was brought in. It's not how it worked. So I'm going to turn this back on you. Because we're, we're in Holy Week and it's a great time to reflect. How do you think the kingdom should be? How do you think the kingdom should be? Do you sometimes, and we, like this is all of us, I believe, or definitely me, I get into the trap of thinking God should do it this way or that way. 
Are we like the Pharisees who think the kingdom of God is control, compliance to the kingdom you want? Or are you like the crowds who, the crowds in 2021, what are they screaming? They're screaming freedom. They're screaming freedom in basic biology. They get freedom almost anti-science these days. Freedom of boundaries, freedom of choice, freedom of leisure, freedom for the individual, they cry at the moment. We want our freedom, my, not our, they mean my freedom. Side note, is it that free? I don't know about you and those of you that are working in more secular workplaces, you might know this, but how free does it actually feel? This over the top, you're not allowed to say these words, you're allowed to say these words, you're not allowed to act this way. The secular religion has a lot of control and compliance on us today. Or the freedom of leisure and stuff. I want the latest phone, but deep down, I don't mind if someone overseas is barely paying for his, paying afford to eat and feed his family and he's building that iPhone for me in some distant country. Is freedom for me freedom for everyone? Or is it just freedom and leisure for me? How do you think the kingdom should be? This is not condemning. This is just the perfect week to step back, holy week, and observe the cross afresh and say, what kingdom am I actually living out? Is it God's or is it mine? The crowds, the religious, or Jesus? Next, next reason that within a week they'd be killing the guy. They didn't like who he was in the end. They didn't like who he was. They liked John the Baptist. <laughs> and I reckon they liked John the Baptist because John the Baptist could stir the pot, kind of go, kind of plant the seeds of rebellion or well, here we go, the kingdom's coming, his message was. And then he didn't actually have to embody their hopes and dreams. So he's like, the kingdom's coming. Here he is. He's walking towards me. Good luck. Yeah. He didn't have the best of luck either. He got beheaded. So let's not like, it didn't end well for him, but... He was liked because he could just preach the kingdom and Jesus had to embody it. They saw Caesar. You've got to understand, Caesar at this time was claiming to be God as well, divine. They saw Herod. They saw Pilate. So when they saw their celebrities, they couldn't help but project that onto God. They couldn't help but project it onto Jesus. They, wanted, they may not wanted that, but they wanted that, if that makes no sense or sense. They wanted him to be like Caesar. They wanted him to be in charge, the ruler. And since they only knew violent oppression, they saw kings of oppression, kings of greed, kings of empire and kings of war. And this is what they got. By the end of the week, they got a king of submission. They got a king of servitude. They got a king of sacrifice. And they got a king who would humiliate himself, humble himself on a cross that just wasn't the king they wanted. And again, holy week. What type of king do you want? What type of king are you telling Jesus he needs to be? Not a condemn, not a judgment this morning. Just step back. What, what have you kind of projected on him? Maybe it's Elon Musk. Genius, 
billionaire. I like Elon Musk. But am I projecting that celebrity onto Jesus, saying that's who he needs to be? Elon Musk, Michelle Lewin, or Kardashian? Or maybe it's a person of religion. Maybe, and I've deliberately chosen these names, but maybe it was Bill Hybels. If you don't know, massive big church leader. Ravi Zacharias or Carl Lentz, who planted a church in New York City. I've mentioned all three of those because in the last six months, it turns out they're all very human people with some very dark faults, all of them. Who are you placing your idea on what a king should be? Is it Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, who I love, and so far not go, no controversy around him, but is it him? Is it John Mark Como? Is it Dr. David Jeremiah? Is that who the king needs to be? All good preachers, and I know we all have fans of all of that here, but that's still not Jesus. And then lastly, what would change in a week? They didn't like his invitation. In the kingdom, with the king, the crowds on Palm Sunday imagined as they praised and worshipped him. This is what they imagined. We know this because they tell us. They imagined this. Status. Power. Empire. Dreams being fulfilled. They imagined, we know this because when he started less doing the whole feeding everyone and talking about the cross, they started to like, oh, we're out of here. They wanted the miracles. They wanted the, the show. They wanted the status, the power, not submission. They wanted a tool for their own glory. They'd created their own God and their own image. We're talking a lot about Leviticus lately. Aaron does exactly this. Moses goes up for like what feels like one moment up the mountain and says, I'm going to talk to God, and the people can't help themselves. They get bored, and they create a golden calf. We can't help ourselves when we lose focus. We create our own image of a God, on who our God should be. And if you're still not sure, if you're still not following, or how do you know that's what they were thinking? Listen to Matthew 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Zebedee's sons are James and John. So this is one of the mothers. She's around a lot through the Gospels. She's a dedicated follower of Jesus. Um, she's there around resurrection, but she's, she's got a favour to ask him. She, he says, what, do you, what is it that you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Give them status. They've been following you around for a couple of years now. Give them power. Make them like you, the kings. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Give us glory. They ask this all the time if you read through the Gospels. It's always, he turns around and they're talking about who's the best one. Who's going to get the most glory? They're asking, can we sit at your right and left when the empire comes? Jesus said to them, you'll indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They're annoyed. They're like, I can't believe you got in before us. Jesus called them together and said, you know that rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
Gentiles have this system, he's saying, where they have high officials and they exercise authority. Not so with you. It's a different kingdom, a different king, a different invitation. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Got this image here, the three thrones. And as I thought, so first time I read this story, I thought, I wonder who would sit there at the right and left? I thought, who do you think in the Bible, even you go back to the heroes, King David, does he get a seat? Moses? Who gets a seat at the right and left if not the disciples? The invitation. And as I read more about this and read into some commentaries, here's what I found. It wasn't at all what even I looked at initially. It was a picture of this. That's what it looks like to be at the right and left of Jesus. He says to Zebedee's, the mother, or, or, yeah, he says to these, this mother, you don't want this for your kids. <laughs> you don't know what you're asking. To sit at the right and left of me. You don't want to drink that cup right now. He knows they will. Actually, end up, a lot of the disciples gave their life for Jesus, and gave their life for their faith, but this is what the kingdom looked like. You don't know what you're asking, he says to this lady. You don't know what being the king really means or the kingdom needs or what it looks like to follow me. Church, Palm Sunday is a reminder that it is extremely possible to even be a Christian and sit in church, smile, stand, sing loudly. It's possible to do all those things, lay coats and palms down, but have no idea or have forgotten the God you worship. It's possible to just lose track of that. It's possible to have made it about something else. And so I ask us this Palm Sunday, the holy week, this week, reflect, do you know him? Is he the king? Is that the invitation you're pursuing? Here's a good measuring question for you. (laughs) Ask yourself, This week, does God like all the same things you like? (laughs) Chances are, if God likes everything you like, chances are if God's angry about everything you're angry about, there's a small chance that if God likes, is endorses all your hobbies but not other people's because that's a waste of time and not good stewardship, but your hobbies. Chances are if when you pray to him, he agrees with you, there's a very good chance that you're not worshipping God you're worshipping just a bigger version of yourself. I will actually. I've never had that before. I don't know what to do. We're not, you know, we're more conservative. Don't, you know, don't, I'll say it again, but there's a bigger chance that you're worshipping a bigger, a bigger version of yourself. So you're not wrong. You're not evil. Just Holy Week, it's a time to reflect. Am I just big? Am I worshipping a bigger version of Steve for me or am I worshipping a God a real God that's going to disagree with you sometimes, that's going to challenge you sometimes, that's going to grow you sometimes. 
all the best parents do this. They want their kids to grow. If God is God, he loves you, but he will convict you sometimes. He will challenge you sometimes. He'll ask you to do things you don't want to do sometimes. He'll push, he'll stretch, he'll grow you up. It's what good parents do. Just as we finish off though, it's been a bit of challenge. Here's the good news. Let me finish up with this before we... We're going to take communion in a moment, but let me finish with this because it's not all just challenged this morning. The good news of Palm Sunday, here it is. Here's the kicker. The irony, if you will, if I'm using that correctly, the irony of Palm Sunday is they have, some in that crowd may have been waving palms to the image that they had projected on Jesus. And as a Christian, we all fall. We all get it wrong sometimes. We all stumble. We all need holy weeks to remind us and bring it back. Here's a kicker. He was still worth that procession. It was still a day to celebrate. It still is. Because just because they might have mistaken the king they wanted, it doesn't mean he's not the king you need. He is still the king. He is still the king you hope for. He is still the king worthy of praise. He did take the greatest symbol of power and destruction in the Roman Empire and he just bent it to his will by dying on it. And I believe, and a lot of historians agree, that that was the match that burnt the whole empire down. So he didn't do it with force and power, he did on dying on the thing. Once you... Once there's rumours of him, more than rumours, once there's hundreds of people that have witnessed the resurrected Jesus, it's really hard to go, look out, Christian, we'll kill you. They're like, so what? We've got an eternal God. Do your worst. It's, there's rumours. Peter said, do not crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy of doing it even the way Jesus did it. He did take Rome down. He did more than that. He took the evil empire below Rome down. The spiritual, the, the, the dark spirituality behind empire and evil. He took that down. He gave us the kingdom. He gave us freedom. He gave us an entrance back into the relationship with him. He gave pathways into forgiveness, pathways into freedom, pathways into relationship with the king. And then he said, you guys get to participate with the kingdom. He was the king of power. It wasn't that he couldn't have not got crucified and started a kingdom then and there. He wanted us to be involved. Like a good parent, he's not going to do it all for us. We don't learn anything. If my parents cleaned my room, or for a little bit I was in a caravan, they're here so that I can, I'm using an example, then I didn't learn to clean that. They did it a few times because they're lovely, gracious parents. So, and Mez is still teaching me because of that <laughs> to clean up after myself. But if you do it, if you do it for you, if God did it all for us, then we wouldn't grow. We wouldn't learn. He conquered death. He dis- disarmed the entire system, and he ignited a new one. Today is an invitation. This Palm Sunday towards a hard road. I get that but it's one of growth. It's one where we participate in the coming kingdom. 
It's one where we get to redeem and play a part in the redemption, I should say, of people's lives. We get to see lives change. We get to keep people free from addiction, from sin. And we get to offer an eternal kingdom, one after. It's good news. It's a hard road, but it's good news. He's not the king we might want some days, but he's the king we need. I'll say it again. He may not be the king you want some days, but he's the king we need. An invitation to grow. To actually, we even get to participate in his glory. Not because anything we did. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he becomes a celebrity, if he forfeits his soul? What should a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says this, the kingdom, it's worth it. Relationship with him. This is why we praise the King this Palm Sunday. We're going to sing. Actually, we're going to do communion now. We're going to remember this, why he is worthy of our praise. Remember with a bit of bread and a bit of juice. And we're going to remember the sacrifice he made. And just in that time, I've got some questions. Just in that time. It's not a smackdown. This is not some guilt trip. This is just a perfect week to ask yourself, hey, the last few months, whose kingdom have I been building? Who is the king of your kingdom? And do you know him? Do you know the king? There's only one way to serve him if you know what he wants. And sometimes the answer is, do you know what? I've got to adjust. And what a week to do that and what a moment to do that. So we're going to take a bit of juice, a bit of bread. I'm going to pray. Why I pray, I'm going to ask the people that I forgot to ask again to help hand out communion to come up. Whoever can. Hand out, and they're going to help me hand out some communion. We're going to have some time, and then we're going to really... What are we going to sing last, Jeremy? Good, good, Father. Then we're going to sing together, because he's worthy of our praise. Let me pray, and um, then communion will be distributed after that. Father, we just thank you for Palm Sunday. We sometimes get it wrong. We sometimes make it about ourselves. We sometimes make it about a different kingdom, Lord, but... You still died for us. And so right now we just pray as we approach the cross this Easter, we reflect on the things we've been building. We reflect on the things we've been worshipping and we reflect on the path we've been following and just pray for renewal, refreshment and redemption. We remember what you did on the cross now, Lord, for us. Killing an empire, a dark, dark, satanic empire by dying on the thing and then rising again three days later. Let that be refreshing to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.